Welcome back to Firewall. I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. It's a Tuesday episode, so we're here with our friend and producer, Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how you doing? Good morning, Bradley. It is a Monday morning in New York, Tuesday when this is posting, and it is one of those days that you just want to lie in bed all day long and not go outside. Is that right? It, it is, except, you know, I was... Um, You're not like that. <laughs> no, no, no. Last week, I was like kind of sick with a mysterious ailment in that I kept this... It felt like when I had COVID a year ago, but I kept testing negative for COVID, but I actually stayed home and worked from home Tuesday through Friday. And I just can't remember the last time other than having had COVID where I had no choice that I did that. Uh, so you were I, actually laid up. Yeah. And I think it was as much just, I didn't quite make it to the end of the year, right? It's been a crazy <laughs> couple of years and like, I think that, you know, uh, just like a signal, like your body, a little like, bit. And so over, I, I, I didn't, I was perfectly fine walking over here in the rain this morning. Cause I literally, I think this weekend left my apartment three times for maybe a total of four or five hours. Um, oh, good. Well, that, that's actually a good way of looking at it. Cause when I was walking over here, I thought like, if I wanted to make a video, like an Eric, an anti Eric Adams video this morning would be the one there was like trash cans like in the middle of the street. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, big, big storm. And yeah, I know, I know. In, in fairness. No, no, I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just yeah. saying that if I was going to do it today, it would be like, anyway. Why so, are we talking about the weather? It's, I, I, don't I know. brought it Who up. Who cares? Yeah. Not only that, tomorrow will be different weather and people are listening to this all over but the world. But it's our state of mind for right now. And you're going to talk about your predictions for 2024. We're doing a couple of different episodes on this. Tell us what we're going to do today. Yeah. So here's the system. Here's the plan. Um, today, we're doing non tech predictions uh in part because we gave the tech predictions to jessica matthews at fortune so i can't put them on the air until she runs wow it. so you're embargoed from your own predictions yeah That's an interesting we've been situation. doing this with her for or with with term sheet different different writers there for seven or eight years now um that's a nice thing so we'll do non-tech predictions today and then uh thursday's episode will be about the supreme court case around whether or not the fda has the ability to say that Mifeprostone is legal, and then I'm also going to do my 2023 year in books, and then we will record this week and release sometime the following week or before the new year the tech predictions. Great. No, so that's that's exactly right. So there'll be three kind of year-end episodes that'll all be kind of in the feed in a row, which will be today's thing on, on non-tech political-based predictions. Yeah, yeah. We'll have the books and the abortion conversation on Thursday. And then on on next Tuesday we'll have the uh, we'll have the tech predictions and that'll be it for twenty twenty four or twenty twenty three. God, no, no. Then we have the Santos guy, right? We're going to hold that. I think we're going to do that in the new year. Okay, I cool. think so. But we'll guy, see. A guy wrote a uh, a really fun book about George Santos. He's going to come on and and talk to us about it. So anyway, the the non tech predictions, like Hugo said, are are mainly political. And the first one comes with a very long tangent. Um, this is the downside of me just being inside all weekend is I have too much time to too, think. Too, did you ruminate a lot? Yeah, or just, you know, I, I read the papers, I start thinking about things, and then I start writing, and sort of it turns into a thesis, and I start bouncing it off people, and, you know, it all kind of goes through a, a process. Okay, so you want to start with so, your tangent? Yeah, it's well, not really a tangent, to my mind. I okay. read it already, obviously. So, so. so the, the prediction is... 2024 is one of the most miserable device election season his election seasons in history yeah no shit um but here's the controversial one it ends with neither trump nor biden elected as president and i don't mean that like it goes to the house of representatives or supreme court has to weigh in i mean ne neither of them are the winner uh although trump i imagine if he is the nominee will contest that um so here i'm just going to read what i wrote because i think it captures it pretty well and then we'll talk about it which is americans are more unhappy than ever as a whole 
Social media is the major culprit. The combination of constantly feeling like your life is inadequate compared to what you see everyone else posting and seeing every bad thing that happens anywhere in the world at all times, compounded by the views of a million idiots, so the world feels worse than ever. Existential risk has quadrupled from just nukes when we were kids to nukes, pandemics, climate, and AI. I'm not sure that I see AI as a true existential risk, but many do. This is likely the first generation of Americans that will almost definitely do worse than their parents, partly the result of globalization, partly the opioid crisis, partly guns and mass incarceration, partly terrible schools, partly a weird healthcare system, uh, lots of different reasons why. Uh, people are unhappy and they're scared. Trump is a candidate who provokes emotion, angry and bad in those who don't like him and angry and good in those who do. But either way, the emotion is anger. Biden provokes no emotion at all, competent but totally uninspiring. So the potential candidates, the first question I had was, who could run if Biden got hit by a bus today? Which of them has the ability to make people feel hopeful and good about themselves? A Reagan, Obama, even Bill Clinton type. We're too polarized and screwed up for that person to actually change the underlying paradigm, bring the parties together and get meaningful things done. Obama proved that. But even if the president just didn't make us feel either anger or just nothing, that would be an improvement. Between Newsom, Harris, Whitmer, Shapiro, Prisker, and anyone else who would jump in, who, bet, who best meets that description, if any? Does Nikki Haley meet it on the Republican side? None of them jump off the page. And even if you look at Reagan, Clinton, and Obama, none of them had to lead us through a major war where the nation was truly at risk or a major depression. Obama had the Great Recession, but it was mainly to his political benefit. Clinton had it historically easy, except for the problems of his own making. And Reagan did help end the Cold War, but it was more like landing the plane really well than dodging anti-aircraft fire. So I wonder who that candidate is. Or maybe now it's that everyone's close-up is just way too visible for it to work. Maybe without social media, without the internet, without cable news, we don't see the flaws and limits as much, and someone like a what flaw succeeds. Maybe in today's world, either have to be the voice of anger, Trump, or the alternative to, resto to restore some normalcy after the chaos and anger, Biden. So all long way of saying... One, uh, I, I just don't um, I don't think that what the country wants or needs, the country wants and needs on some level, is e even if someone can't bring the parties together and get a lot of shit done, it can just maybe not make us feel horrible at every moment of the day. So I, I would argue that Obama for a while did that. Obviously, the, the right hated him, but I think he brought the, the left and the center together for a while. It, Congress was still too divided for him to achieve much. He got, you know, health care done through a party line vote, and that's about all he really got done. Um, and then I wrote one more thing, which is kind of what Biden has going against him, the mitigants, and then the offsets to the mitigants, just to see if it's at all feasible for Joe Biden to really be the, the next president. Um, what's going against him? Deep unpopularity. His biggest vulnerability, which is age, can only grow worse and possibly exponentially so, meaning that if he falls down a flight of stairs or something, that mental image is just seared in everyone's heads forever. He has no real base. Younger voters are disenfranchised. They're going to look at Trump or third-party candidates. He has less hold on voters of color. He has an unpopular vice president. There's inflation and the perception thereof. Third-party challengers. And the world is a really unhappy place. Now, the mitigants would be, one, the rate of inflation is declining, unemployment is low, interest rates may be cut. That could produce a better feeling economy by November 2024. Two, the Trump criminal trials. Three, abortion. Four, the notion that RFK somehow takes more from Trump than from Biden. And then the mitigants to that, in terms of inflation and the economy, 
It just seems to me unlikely that it is felt and believed widely by the voting public by November 24, even if the actual facts on the ground are good. In terms of the Trump criminal trials, maybe this will be the straw that breaks the camel's back, but it feels like voters are very aware of who Trump is and they've made the trade-off. And I don't know that him being convicted of the things he's been accused of is going to change that fundamentally. Uh, Abortion, totally true, and we've seen that for the last couple of years now. But Arizona looks like the only true swing state that might have it on the ballot. And so in terms of it driving turnout to change the outcome, um, we may be limited to kind of one key swing state. And the notion that RFK takes more from Trump than from Biden, you know, maybe that's statistically true, but but third-party challengers almost never help the incumbent or the status quo. And so I'll kind of believe it when I see it. So all a long way of saying it's hard to see Biden succeeding here. There was a piece in the Washington Post this morning about— how upset he is with his team about his poll numbers. And I think, you know, he he's not, for all of whatever flaws Biden has, he's not crazy. He's not delusional. Um, and so at some point, it's going to hit him that, like, look, there's just, as, as unfair as it may seem to him, there is no real path to making his numbers better. And so his only real hope is that people's views of Trump change meaningfully for the worse. And I just don't know how that's really possible. And so... You know, there may still be a point where Biden says, like, fuck this. Uh, we talked about this, yeah. Yeah, I'll pardon, mm. I'll pardon Hunter, and I'll look like I'm not running for the benefit of the country, and I won't take the risk of me losing to Trump and putting him back in office. Um, and if someone else runs and loses to Trump, then everyone can say, well, we should have kept Biden. Um, again, people typically do not give up hold on this kind of power, right? People try to hang on forever, whether it's presidents or kings or dictators or heavyweight champions or actors or musicians or anyone else. That's human nature. Um, but but perhaps Biden does. Let me ask you a question about that. So, you know, at, at various points at the, uh, in the, well, towards the end of the Trump presidency in particular, there was this idea, is it the 25th Amendment where the, the cabinet yeah. can go and remove the president? Yeah. So let's imagine, no one's going to remove Biden. But let's imagine some scenario like that where the cabinet all gets together and agrees that this has to happen. Can is that something? You like, also need to uh, use some Congress too. I think. You need well, it. I just mean I just mean not. They're never going to do it like right. in a kind of like removing, well, okay. so, so but you, in a kind of like persuading. So you way. could do right. So maybe and um, although you know it's funny, Biden has a lot of competent people like Lloyd Austin and Janet Yellen seem good at their jobs. But if I were Biden, would their political views mean anything to me at all? No, right? For Almost for the same reason that they're pretty good at their jobs. Like, who cares what they think politically, right? Right. I just mean if they all agree, right? Well, so then let's say they did remove him. Kamala Harris takes over, uh, them in Congress. And then she is just about equally unpopular to Biden. Her numbers and his have about kind of equalized at this point. Can I play out this scenario, though? Yeah. What, I, what I mean is they go to him, not, not a formal thing like we're removing you, but we— think you should step down and for the good of the country you step down and you don't you you know you or you say your scenario the march scenario that that he decides not to run throws open the the uh the nomination to the to the convention right and a a process unfolds from there can you imagine like yourself in in that room what the language is what the thing that persuades him is if you're gonna do it first of all you you just you can't beat around the bush right? right You got to go in there sort of willing to recognize that he will hate you for the rest of your life um, and just sort of bite the bullet. And then you have to be honest about Harris, too, which is like, you're just as bad. This doesn't help us. Right. Because <laughs> she's, she's going to argue. In the room too, right? She's going to be in the room. Right. She's going to argue. I'm, I'm the answer. Right. Right. Um, so, 
Um, you'd have to be able to do that. And I think that you have to play to his sort of legacy because I, I don't know who in that room is so persuasive on pure electoral politics. Like, so Mayor Pete's in the room, but like he, you know, he won Iowa and then he did nothing after that, right? Or Gina Raimondo was a governor, but like there's there's no one there you were like, oh, this person is the oracle and I better listen to what they say. But I do think, you know, a lot of wise old people who can say like, look, your legacy 50 years from now, 100 years from now, whatever else, either the guy who was so selfish that he brought Trump back into office or the guy who did what was good for the country and got a lot of good things done. I don't think you probably need to go 50 or 100 years into the future to see that. Yeah, whatever it is, right? to 10, 20. Two? Um, so, <laughs> Next January. <laughs> right. So I, I think that that's how you would have to go about it. Um, again, this assumes that Biden is better than your average politician as a human being. I, I don't know that that's true. I don't right. think he's a particularly terrible person like Trump, but I haven't seen any evidence that he is like, someone who would put anyone else's needs above his own either. Two more questions, and then I'll let you move on to the yeah. next topic. One, if it's not Biden or Trump, does the advantage swing to the Democrats or the Republicans? Well, I don't know, right? Because, like, if it if it's— I Nick need you to predict, just well, for the hell Let's it. talk about it. So okay. if it's Nikki Haley, who, you know, I'm now following prey to the, like, oh, she's moving in New Hampshire and whatever. And 29%, it, yeah, right? right. I still think that's highly unlikely. But let's just to say that— Somehow she does well enough that then Trump gets convicted, something else bad happens, and at the convention somehow they're like, we can't be Trump, right? We can't Imagine win. how much better she'd be doing if you had signed on to my I challenge, taking up my challenge. I don't think so. She's doing just fine without me. Right. Um, I guess that's right. But um, but so so on that side, on the Democratic side, you know, I, I don't know. I don't I was sort of talking to a bunch of people who know the different governors, Pritzker, Newsom, Shapiro, Whitmer, personally over the weekend, and no one said this is a Obama, Reagan, Clinton-like communicator or, or uniter or anything like that. So um, it's not like there's someone there who will then, and maybe there's someone we're not thinking of, right, who comes out of nowhere. Just because this is a prediction show, are you willing to just put one name? I know it's a lottery ticket. I know you're not like, you know, but like if it's not Biden I mean, or the, Trump, the, it the, is blank. Harris. Okay. Uh, no, I'm sorry, um, Haley. Haley. Haley won Whitmer too. Okay, good. That's that's solid. So could it? Could you even imagine a Haley v. Whitmer? Is that like a, or is that? I think that's tough. So, you know, I, I the next prediction is we have at least one active convention that chooses the nominee for the first time in decades. That wouldn't basically require two active conventions to do that. That seems even too crazy for me to predict. Boy, it would be quite a year though, right? That would so be like, exciting. That would be like the New York Times. Would, I mean, the New York Times would like, have like the greatest year of its like existence. Yeah, except the best thing CNN, for them, MSNBC. It, it it would for that sort of four or five month yeah. clip, but the truth is the best thing for every outlet you just named is for Donald Trump to be reelected. Right. That's how they make money. Right. Um, right. Having a a, as they seen with Biden, you know, having a moderate, uninspiring president on either side of the aisle right. doesn't sell that many newspapers or draw that many viewers so um i don't know which party it will be you know you can make up equally crazy scenarios for either one um but just to make this fun i'm going to predict that that one of the two parties ends up picking their nominee at the convention. i love it and you're not going to you, and you're going to say it's more likely to be the dems than the republicans i think so yep well, i do okay uh third i think trump is convicted in one of these cases probably election interference in georgia or maybe january 6th um 
And I think it changes the underlying dynamic of the race, but not necessarily in his or Biden's favor. I think it's just what leads to the convention and ultimately potentially a president who is neither named Donald Trump nor Joe Biden. Um, Fourth, the Republicans win back the Senate because if you look at the map, that's just pretty likely. Democrats did a, a, a decent job in the last couple of cycles kind of holding off some of the inevitability. Um, but just, you know, based on who's up when, retirements, you know, things like that. And the Democrats, both parties are especially old, but um, a new leader emerges. So I don't know who it is. It, 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 maybe it's Thune, maybe it's Cornyn, maybe it's Rick Scott. Um, probably not Rick Scott because he seems like an asshole. But, um, <laughs> but, but not McConnell. Um, and then the question becomes, and this is sort of a naive, unrealistic hope, but let's say that the Democrats took the House back and, and the Republicans took the Senate and it was, I don't know, John Cornyn or John Thune and then Hakeem Jeffries is the speaker. Mm-hmm. And let's say the president is not Donald Trump. Um, is there a world where they say, you know what, fuck it, let's just try to get some shit done and we'll, we'll pay whatever consequence we have to pay politically? Um, and the answer is no, because that's just not how reality works. Mm-hmm. But we know that doesn't work with the current leadership. So if you told me that you could get some bipartisan consensus in that alignment, um, that would be fine with me. Um, the Supreme Court, we're going to talk about this uh, on the podcast that's going to run on Thursday, um, upholds the FDA's authority on Mifepristone. That leads to a surge of blue states passing shield laws next year, a surge of red states firing back by issuing indictments in absentia, and the issue ends up helping the Democrats in November. So, I, I, look, this is a, another prediction going against the grain because, you know, you, you have a court that's sort of 6-3 pro-life, and so therefore striking down the FDA's authority would be consistent with that. But if you strike down the FDA's authority, it, it's a much bigger deal than just abortion, right? Like, I, I could, I don't agree with it, but I could see how a justice could say abortion is a political issue, not a legal issue, and therefore either Congress or the states should decide this, right? Don't agree, but okay. Um, saying we no longer think that the FDA should have the authority to decide what drugs are legal and what are illegal. Um, that's a much bigger dismantling of the system. And I don't get the sense that at least someone like John Roberts is comfortable with that. There was a piece in the Times over the weekend, I don't know if you read it, about kind of how Roe v. Um, how Dobbs versus Jackson went, went down in the Supreme Court mm-hmm. and all the maneuvering behind the scenes. And clearly Roberts did not want to do it, right? Um, and so the question is, if Roberts didn't want to, and he's got the three Dems, um, so it would be Jackson, Kagan, and Sotomayor, um, could he pick up one more person out of the remaining five? You know, maybe. I don't think it would be Thomas or Alito, but between Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and, and Barrett, you know, I guess Barrett, not on this one because she's so pro-life, although apparently she had some hesitations about, about Dobbs as well. So, you know, per, perhaps, you know, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh certainly seem like system guys to mm-hmm. me. So, um, so that that's my hope is that, or, or my prediction is that fundamentally they're just not willing to take that step. Um, now look, so that's tr- a glimmer of, uh, like, can we call it optimism? Yeah. Although again, the question becomes then that's, it's good in and of itself because it means women in red states can continue getting through telemedicine access to abortion medication, um, from an electoral standpoint, does it really matter? No. Um, you know, the Republicans might not be dumb enough to take the bait and start, you know, trying to indict doctors and abstention or whatever else. But, but even if they do again, 
where there is a ballot referendum, we have seen significant turnout reaction to it uh, in a positive way. But if it looks like you can't just throw something on the ballot willy-nilly, um, that Arizona is the only swing state. I mean, Nevada is on the list, but if the Democrats have to worry about winning Nevada, they're, they're done anyway. Um, so, you know, if, if that's the case, then um, I just don't know that it ultimately translates into a different outcome in November, but, but it would, maybe it's a more, not a more important outcome, but it's a very important outcome in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the wave of identity politics ruling everything starts to subside. Not every heralded novel and movie is about identity politics. People start to get a break, and they enjoy it and appreciate it. Um, and then a related, which is both a prediction and then my recommendation, which is American Fiction Wins Best Picture. So I saw that over the weekend. Have mm-hmm. you seen it? Nope. Really good. And, and the, the, the premise of the movie is a African-American writer who's you know very, very established and talented but not commercially successful. Um, his career is really struggling. And he writes, you know, sort of what he thinks is a parody of sort of a black book, meaning like street life, thug life. And it becomes a huge hit, number one bestseller, huge hit, wins awards. But he is has his identity, he wrote under a pseudonym, his identity is hidden. And it's sort of about the struggle he has, you know, between the absurdity of it and yet also enjoying the success. He needs the money. His mom has to go to the hospital. That like, does sound like a perfect Bradley Tusk movie. It was a great movie. But but what it also did was it really made fun of, and it was funny because I saw it at the Angelica. So the people it made fun of in the movie were exactly the crowd watching the movie. Uh, in fact, when some people applauded at the end, I was like, I think you might have just been mocking yourself when you applauded. Um, but it's a lot of a send up. Isn't of- that exactly how it always works, though? Because, like, it gives you that sense of, like, Moral superiority over your own tribe, kind of. I guess like, so, because we're here watching the movie. We're a little less bad than. The well, rest just of them. we're yeah, we're in on the joke. Maybe, uh, maybe, yeah. And look, it's a satire, so everyone's a little over the top. So right. you know, um, that's Cord Jefferson, right? Yeah, and it was it was he's, great. He's great. Yeah, it was great. Um, great. So, um, but I th- but I think part of the reason that, and I don't look, I should listen to an interview with him and Bill Simmons over the weekend. And he started working on this three years ago, so obviously he couldn't have known the different directions that the world would take. But I do think his timing ended up being impeccable in that we are at a point, and you see this with all these Israel stuff, but just generally speaking, where I think there is starting to be real mainstream backlash to the constant insistence of identity politics, the constant insistence of um, everything having to be looked at solely through the prism of social justice or race or gender or class or whatever it is um and so his book by sort of making a mockery of the of the far left um sort of a nice book his um per, per, his movie his movie yeah percival everett wrote the book um his movie um it is really good timing and so look i have to tell you like you know we'll start taking nominations for the gotham book prize in in january and award it in april i would love to have a book that's not about identity politics, to be honest. Um, and I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see. Well, what, there have been some that have. There have, yeah. but it's in, it'll be the jurors typically submit right. identity politics nominations. And I will be curious to see if there's any change in their behavior um, this year. Is it a good, are you excited about the no, crop? No, it's a terrible year. Really? Terrible. Um, the, at the For mo- New York City books. Yeah, at the moment, the only one that I truly loved was Crook Manifesto by Colson Whitehead. Are you allowed to say this? I guess it's your prize. Yeah, you can say whatever you want. Whatever want. Uh, but he needs 50 grand like a hole in the head, right? Well, so you like, never know. But giving, <laughs> it doesn't help his career. The guy's won yeah. multiple, what, National Book Awards, Pulitzer Prizes, whatever. Like, it doesn't help launch his career in any way, shape, or no, form. No, it doesn't. Right? Help. And so... Um, he still might like it, though. 
I love the book. I would prefer not to give it to him. Uh, I don't know what happens if it is sort of just so clearly the best one by by miles. Um, so we'll have to see. Okay. Um, next one kind of fits, which is the the failure of Harvard, Penn, and MIT to handle the fallout of the disastrous congressional hearings starts to open up the question of how much the Ivy Leagues and elite schools really matter. Um, there was a piece in the New York Post today about Harvard early admissions down 17%. Um, although that's probably a little bit of a red herring in that with the common application, it's so easy to apply to schools that I think part of the reason why the acceptance rate for these schools started hitting these like low single digits is simply because people are like, well, fuck it, I might as well apply to Harvard. Sure. I'm already filling out the form. What's the difference? Right. 50 bucks more or whatever, 100 right. bucks, whatever it is. Um, so some of it might just be that people were like, you know, fewer people chose to waste their money this year, and that that's all because of inflation or whatever else, and it's it's not reflective of much else. Um, but but maybe you know we've been saying this in this podcast for a long time that that where you go to college really just doesn't matter. Uh, you know, if your only goal in life is to be an investment banker or a management consultant, it probably does matter a little bit. And outside of that, it really doesn't make a difference at all. Um, I don't look at all where people went to college in, in my hiring uh, whatsoever. Um, so um, so the question is, do, does that notion start to leak out there a little bit into the broader public? I, th I think maybe it, it does, right? Because... What you're buying into with sort of an Ivy League school is a notion that, like, these people are inherently better, right? They are smarter, they are better, and therefore I want to be like them, and I want to be, I want to join them, right? And then when they look like such fools, right, <laughs> and such idiots, um, it, it does undermine that notion of their superiority. Well, but nobody goes to college to hang out with the university president, so. No, but people apply to college based on really vague things like how good the football team is or, you know, uh, what no, whether they're ranked number seven instead of number 12 on a fucking totally arbitrary list or whatever it is. And so given that the reasons for applying are often specious to begin with, um, I don't think that anyone's like, oh, Sally Cornbluff looks terrible. I'm not applying MIT because I don't want to have to have dinner with her. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that... Um, it just has a general, general negative signaling effect. Although that article did say that Penn's applications were actually up by like 500. Well, it's just interesting to see what the schools do now that their sort of kimonos got ripped off in a sense. And, you know, what the... They aren't going to do anything. Well, they, I mean, they are going to do communication yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's I mean, all going to be like commissions and blue ribbon committees and books and shit like that. I, I, I'll say this. I don't, I mean, I obviously have no... Uh, 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 no real idea of this, but I, I would say that if you're a professor at one of these schools and you do have some good ideas of reforms or things to do, this is your moment, right? Yeah. Like, well, I, I did notice today an article somewhere, uh, that there's sort of an independent union within the New York times spouting. Did you see this? No. Um, spouting up. I, I couldn't, I got the sense that it was more of a, Hey, it, the way it was framed was, and I think I read it in the Washington post. Um, times did not, if they had it, I didn't see it, um, was we don't want to have to write with a particular political point of view, um, which said to me was sort of a strike against identity politics. And I think the reason it was provoked was that the newspaper guild, like many left-wing organizations, wanted to sort of take Hamas's side in the war. They ended up not doing so, but that maybe was enough to get enough Times reports to be like, fuck this. Yeah. Um, and so that may be another sign of the same stuff we're talking about. It's interesting that you immediately link. I mean, you've, you've talked schools. about this, though, linking the New York Times with the um, 
with the with the sort of elite colleges. And, and I mean, they are there is a lot yeah. of overlap, but it's interesting that you just went straight to that without even sort of like. I don't think there's any real. I mean, <laughs> in, in fact, perhaps in addition to being a management consultant or investment banker. It really helps to go to Yale if you want to be editor of the New York Times. I think it does. Yeah. yeah. Harvard probably doesn't hurt either. Probably not. Um, uh, the Paris Olympics do not go well. And I'm on a big, I'm an Olympics fan, generally speaking. I, You know, I saw that on your list and I was like, oh, I forgot the Olympics yeah, were happening I, this I, year. I'm, I'm not going to go. I was going to go. I was supposed to go to Japan. We had like flights and tickets to the events and hotels. Japan would have been the best. And it would have been awesome. Yeah. And it didn't, didn't happen obviously because of COVID. I don't know with Paris. It just like I I might end up going at the last minute. If and it's... what's the what's the event that makes you think like oh, I want to be there? You know, it's funny. So I went to the London Olympics, and what I realized is it doesn't need to be basketball or track and field or swimming. Like like I, I went to cycling. Like the velodrome was I would never otherwise watch. Cycling. Yeah, I don't yeah. watch the Tour de France. So like I don't give a shit. But <laughs> it was awesome. You know, I I think it's actually just it's the being there, which is why there's an off shot that I will go maybe. Uh, I bet Abby's going to want to just hang out on her own this summer. Maybe I'll grab Lyle or something like that. Um, because I actually think seeing sort of anything is fine. Um, so so maybe we, we do go at the last minute. But I do worry that just given the state of the world, you, you got a war that's probably still going a couple of countries over in the Ukraine. You got a war or at least if not active hostilities, you know, not so far south and, and uh, east to the Middle East, right? And and by the way, huge Arab presence uh, in Paris and in France, and so I just worry that at, at worst there's an incident, whether it's a, a Munich-like incident or just something. Don't say that. Um, and at best, it just everyone feels tense and shitty. And to your point, it's like, oh yeah, the Olympics, fuck that. Like this is this is the notion of countries cooperating is such a fallacy that like we don't even bother to pretend anymore. Okay, so I'm going to try to nail you down just so that in all these predictions. Um, who wins the medal count? China. Okay. Because does China always win now? Just because well, they have. I don't. I think so. I mean, because well, look, they have. He, he, I mean, they, they have like China and Russia like <coughs> have organized cheating, right? Individual U.S. athletes may dope and and cheat, um, but but state sanctioned, state sanctioned, state administered, mandated yeah. cheating, right? <laughs> right? So like, I I think that if you have a country that's equal or you know. Significantly greater in size than four or five times the size of ours, um, with you know massive resources and zero willingness to abide by any of the rules. You know they're likely to get ahead. Okay. Um, the Fed takes its time lowering interest rates. They do come down, but not fast enough to meaningfully change consumer voter perception before the election. So you know all, all of us in the finance world are sort of like waiting with bated breath for rates to come down because the feeling is. The market won't really open back up in terms of of IPOs and M and A and everything else without it. You know, the stock market overall has performed well, but it's really like six companies, right? It's like Apple, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Meta, Tesla, and Nvidia, some 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 combination of that, and um, the rest of the market's not really surging all that much. And then, generally speaking, we're seeing very little in the way of IPOs. We're seeing very little in the way of meaningful M and A. Um, and it's because capital is expensive, right? And so as a result, that's that's a huge chilling fact, which is why they raise rates, by the way, is to slow down the economy to, to cool inflation, which seems to have worked. Um, and I think that's eventually why they'll want rates to go down again, but just in the same way that Trump was all over Powell to get him to cut rates 
significantly enough to help him in the 2020 election and Powell didn't do it. I don't think he's going to do it here either. I think he'll do what he thinks makes the most sense. Um, and I think that while rates will be cut, uh, I don't know that it happens fast enough that there's a widespread change in perception of the economy um, by November. Okay. Um, do you want to say what you think the uh, prime rate's going to be at the end of the year? 4%. Um, maybe that's too ambitious. Uh, a ceasefire in Gaza is reached within the next six weeks, but governing Gaza proves impossible. Hamas and Iran find ways to commit new acts of terrorism, and the war resumes. The UN eventually takes over Gaza. So, um, it, you know, I was thinking this morning what I would like to see happen, and I think it's some version of like, okay, the Israelis have probably proved their point in terms of the immediate response to October 7th. Um, I think what I'd like to see happen now is, um, one, the there's a, a broad-based ceasefire, although with a big exception I'll get to in a second. Two, that leads to the dismantling of the war cabinet in Israel and Netanyahu being removed as prime minister. And quite frankly, if you had to take a deal where you don't, he doesn't get prosecuted on these various corruption charges pending against him, but he'll go quietly, like, I think you make that deal. By the way, I'd make that deal with Trump, too. Um, and then you just have a 24, seven, 365. Um, so you'd make the deal with Trump just like, you, we won't prosecute you in anything. It's all over. You just, just have to go away forever. Right. Again, I, you can't, his word means nothing and whatever else, but I'm just saying like, if somehow you could, you could do, do that, right. I, I would do that. Yeah. So that you think they can make that deal with Netanyahu because he's even worse. Maybe he's so unpopular, but, but you know, he's terrible. So I, I don't know. Uh, I also think that Israel's moral authority is so much weaker with him at the helm that just someone else doing even the exact same things would inspire more confidence, right? I don't necessarily have confidence in what Netanyahu's in terms of the integrity of his decisions. Um, so pursue Hamas year-round, man. And like if that means blowing up tunnels, blow up tunnels. If, if that means assassinations, it's assassinations. Like don't give them time to regroup and rebuild and invade again and do this again. But I don't think you have to necessarily continue generalized warfare against Gaza to do that. Um, so my hope would be, you know, that's the plan. There's a new prime minister in Israel. In terms of governing Gaza, I have no fucking idea. I know Israel should not do it. Um, I know that the U.S. should not do it. Um, I guess the Palestinian Authority is sort of the best option, although it's not great. And um, because it will probably fall apart in a weird way, like... Let the UN ultimately have to come in and take it over and then let them see how futile it fucking is in trying to contain Hamas. Um, and I think that, you know, all of their sanctimonious votes at the Security Council condemning Israel might be a little different if they're actually there in the middle of it trying to experiencing it firsthand. Um, the world cannot maintain support for Ukraine and Russia make steady gains leading to an occupation and guerrilla warfare. So we're, what, February will be two years? Is that right? Mm -hmm. um, Ukraine's done an incredible job. Right, I think everyone thought, or I thought at least, that they were going to fall like within a few weeks or whatever it is, and, and they're still standing, you know, almost two years later. However, um, they're standing in large part because the West has been incredibly supportive of them financially, militarily, and we're seeing right now in the U.S. it's getting harder and harder to pass new appropriations and military aid financially to the Ukraine, um, and. Um, I think that ultimately it just peters out both because it's very hard to care about something happening on the other side of the world indefinitely, right? 
Um, and, and the Israeli conflict has sort of gotten so much more attention and hits so much closer to home uh, in some ways that I think as a result, you know, Russia just kind of keeps steadily making gains. They annex territory. And, but then, you know, be careful what you wish for, because then I think they've got Vietnam, they've got Afghanistan, they've got Iraq, where it's like, okay, great. Now you have separatists constantly, just like they have with Chechnya, right? Constantly committing acts of terrorism, both against you in Ukraine and in Moscow and whatever else. And so, you know, they may win the battle, but I think ultimately they lose the war. Um, two more. One, Eric Adams, mayor of New York City, whether he's indicted or not, will still be mayor a year from now. Um, so there were all of these rumors. You know, you and I even have to discuss one weekend, like, do we have to change up the whole podcast plan? That he was about to be indicted. He's apparently telling people he's going to be indicted, which means he's probably received a target letter um, from the feds. But, but with that said... Um, I, he's going to follow the Trump Menendez playbook or even the playbook I was thinking about, like on walk over here, like it kind of started with, what was it? Northrop. Who was the, it was the Virginia governor and, and they found him like wearing blackface in college. And he just kind of, everyone assumed he would resign and he just didn't. And it kind of worked out for him. And then Justin Trudeau had the same thing and it kind of worked out for him. So that might've been actually the beginning of this, this trend. You know, Bob Menendez got caught with with literally with gold bars, and he's still in the U.S. Senate. Donald Trump's been indicted on ninety one different criminal counts. Um, he's the leading candidate. Santos hung in there for a long. Time. Santos hung in there for a long time. So, um, so I, I think that Adams, both politically and legally, will not be willing to resign because he will say that it is an admission of guilt, and he thinks that will hurt him in trial. Or he thinks he can beat this whole thing. Now, again, maybe there's a world where they cut a deal, just like a proposal with Netanyahu, where they say, we won't, we'll drop the prosecution or we'll give you probation or whatever it is in return for you stepping down. But, but you know, the big difference here, obviously, with Netanyahu, and I know you're not drawing direct parallels, is, you know, Adams is a relatively young guy. Like, he steps down from being well, mayor. He's 60, right? Right. But what is he, early you know, it's, it's just basically like, okay, goodbye. Fine. Like, but it, if he had lost the election, then he would have been the former borough president. No, I understand, but I mean, he he he's he. I, I just see the he, he has a strong incentive to fight. To fight, I yeah, agree, yeah, and that's, that's why I, th- I think that one one way or the other, you know, this notion of a special election and Andrew Cuomo and everything else, I think is pretty unrealistic. Now, look, if at the same time he's running for re-election and to to win the Democratic primary nomination, he is literally on trial. Does that make him vulnerable to? Uh, a Cuomo, a Lander, a Williams, a Garcia, someone. Yeah, I, I think it does. Um, but if the pure question is who's holding the reins of power at City Hall 12 months from today, I think the answer is Eric Adams. Uh, so you have one more, and I have yep. two little like bite-sized things at the end okay. for you. Uh, sports. So uh, I'm going with the Niners to win the Super Bowl, although your Bills looked really good the last couple of weeks. Bills uh, and Nikki Haley, those are my two. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the Bills historically, I mean, the last few years, like they've been very good during the season and then kind of blown it in the playoffs. Although that one game that they lost to the Chiefs was one of the best games. One of the best games I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can't really say they, well, they did lose it on defense, but what a game. Anyway. But, but ultimately, maybe they get hot. Getting hot in the playoffs seems to be the key in all sports to, to winning, but... Um, but but maybe that's what happens. But overall, um, I've watched probably at least parts of five or six Niners games this year, and they just seem significantly better than everyone else. So assuming that they're healthy. Okay. Um, All right. Niners. I, I'm going. Wait, wait. Let's do the full thing. Niners over who though? We'll go over Bills. 
Over the Although Bills right now are ninth in the AFC, so yeah, not they, even in they the still got to get in. Yeah. But I'll, I'll predict that they okay. manage to get in and then work their way through the system. And in, in part because, look, Lamar's really talented quarterback, so maybe Baltimore does kind of make it through. But everyone, you know, the Chiefs seem very spotty. The Dolphins seem spotty. Like there's, there's no one really that you can hang your hat out and be like, I'm confident. Well, that's in true with the whole league this year. It's such a strange right, other year. than maybe the Niners. Yeah, although even still, everybody hates Don Purdy still, even though like he's... I mean, I know, but I I kind of love him, man. He was Mister Irrelevant. No, so no, for the, I, for the I listeners, love him too. That means is the very how many rounds are in the NFL draft? Seven, I think. So the last pick of the last round is named Mister Irrelevant, and that was Brock Purdy, who is the quarterback of the Niners and possibly the MVP of the NFL season. Um, I'm gonna go with the Celtics to win the NBA title over Denver. Um, but that assumes a few things. It assumes that Porzingis is healthy, and that's always a very, very risky assumption to make. Um, and if Jamal Murray is sort of healthy and playing the way he played in the playoffs last year, he and Jokic may just be unstoppable. Um, but just to make it a little more interesting, uh, I'm going to go with the Celtics. And then for baseball, I really got here through like reductive reasoning, which is... Um, I didn't want to pick the Dodgers because it's just too easy to pick them with Otani and especially yeah, you feel like something out, will go wrong right? too. Um, and I hate the Yankees and I hate the Braves and I hate the Phillies, so I didn't want to pick any of them. Okay, I mean, I think you got to maybe lean into the hate pick. No? So, I, well, here's the thing: if the Yankees get Yamamoto, which they might, right? Yeah. Although, God, do you see the Cohen stuff? He's really like had him over to his house for dinner. Yeah, uh, I, I almost so. wonder if that would be counterproductive. Like, who is this asshole? Uh, <laughs> he's very rich. You know. <laughs> Um, so I don't, uh, I hope so, but I, I my guess is we're not going to get him. Um, if the Yankees don't get Yamamoto, their starting pitching is still pretty suspect. So I, I don't know if it's enough. Um, I don't, it wouldn't shock me if he went to the Braves or the Phillies only in the sense that like, you know, they're both good teams that, that you'd be in a good position to win. I suspect he'll just go to the Dodgers. Um, but you know, I don't want to pick any of those teams. So what does it leave you with? Really nothing left in the National League. And then the American League, there's sort of Baltimore, but I just never really trust them. And then that leaves you with uh, Houston and, and the Rangers. And the Rangers next year, it may not work, certainly didn't work for the Mets this year, the old guy strategy, but they will have mid-year coming back Scherzer and DeGrom and like Tyler Maul. There's some, some third pitcher, same thing. So if you're getting sort of a whole new pitching staff halfway through the year, halfway through the year and if Garcia and Seeger and Seaman play, you know, nearly as well as they did last year, that, that's pretty potent. Wow. Okay. Um, are you done with your... Uh, yeah, I'm done. Okay. All right. So th- I actually have three things, but they're really short. Sure. So there's, uh, as I see 2024, there's five horsemen of the apocalypse out there, okay. right? There's Trump, there's Putin, there's China, there's Israel, Gaza, and there's climate. Okay. So of those five... Pick the one that you are most optimistic that something good will happen that will like defy expectations of those five, of the five horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah. Well, I mean, based on the predictions I just made, Donald yep. Trump will not be president. Great. So we'll go with that. Okay. I think that's a good answer. So I'm going to sketch out a scenario. I just want your reaction to it. Um, the great story of 2024 is a royal, an American royal-like wedding in the summer between Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey that oh, brings yeah. the entire world together. Sort of the only good thing that Taylor Swift was the only good thing that happened in 2023, right? Right. So, right. Do, do you like that? Is sure. like this kind of thing that that like brings sure. everyone together? I, mean, 
I have no idea whether or not they will be a successful married couple over a period of time. Well, they certainly or, will not be. I mean, not, they're, they're right? celebrities. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like that's usually what happens. But they could be happy for a few years. But right? yeah, look, I inherently like, I like Taylor Swift in that I like some of her songs, but more important, my daughter really likes her. And yeah, so I know. She makes Abby happy. That makes me happy. And I like Travis Kelsey because I like football and he's a very talented guy who's personable, right? Yeah, and totally. so yeah, what? You, you put the two of them together. Um, sure. And, and look, in a weird way, I prefer the American royalty of like football and pop music than like the British royalty because look of, cu- of cultural oppression and and colonization yeah, hegemony and- yeah <laughs> um, because they both earn the success that they have right they've both unquestionably worked unbelievably hard to get yeah to and they're where great they at it even they're if they're incredibly don't, yeah. talented neither of them grew up I think like super privileged or anything like that definitely um, not Travis Kelsey and so as a result they did get to where they are. Now, they're neither of them, although Taylor Swift might be a contender to be president if she ever wanted to, but neither of them are likely to be like the, the sovereign reign of a, of a country, um, like in theory the monarchy is in, in England. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would take Kelsey and Swift over Meghan Markle and Prince Harry any day of the week. Um, all right. So um, this is more of a prompt than an answer, although you could okay. answer it if you have one. But I think this is more for our conversation next week. Okay. Just I want you to think of like one personal goal, M- more personal in the kind of professional personal sense than like, although it could be deeply personal if you want. It's You can do it every once. You don't want podcast. to answer this one? Well, you, if you have one. I mean, I think I know what the, uh, here are the things from a professional my my personal goal is just for my kids to be healthy and happy. That, that that's easy. That's that's and, that's and nice, but not that interesting. <laughs> Agree. I would say in terms of the big things happening professionally, uh, you know, we're raising fund for, so I'd like to succeed at that and start seeing some liquidity in the venture market. But we're releasing the mobile voting tech in Q one and then the mobile voting book in Q three. Um, that's huge. So so that could be the success there. Um, you know, we've got these five states that we're pushing school meals in, although Ohio is sort of a two-year campaign. Um, so obviously uh, those would be. Um, and then again, I think the odds are really, really low, but perhaps the TV sh- version of Obvious in Hindsight gets sold and, and possibly. Well, that sounds like great made. shit for 2024. So, you know, those are all big, big goals. I don't know that. I mean, we'll achieve the fund. You know, we'll achieve the fund for sure. Whether we hit the number we want or not, I don't know. But we'll achieve, we'll achieve the fund. Um we will release the voting tech. We will release the voting book. I got the cover over the weekend. I really liked it. You didn't uh, send it to me. I'll show it to you. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it, it will still be a massive slog and battle to take it from there to actually giving everyone the right to do but it. But that's two huge developments, obviously. The um, biggest so far by, you know. I think, you know, I, I like where we're going in Illinois and Pennsylvania at school meals. Um, and maybe even Arkansas, too. South Carolina, Lisa's is more optimistic than, than Bob and I am. And then Ohio is is a two year plan, um, and then the TV show. Who the fuck knows, right? Like, it seems have you gotten to, any feedback yet? No, I'm waiting. So the, the people I'm working with are, are Steven Soderbergh and Brian Buckley, mm-hmm. and Brian is his known as the king of the Super Bowl. So he has made more Super Bowl commercials. So he's busy. He's busy. Yeah. yeah. So I I kind of can't get Brian's attention uh, until after the Super Bowl. Till, well, or whenever at least whenever they submit the ads, maybe right. a little before that. So um, so once he does. Uh, I need him and Steven to sort of comment on and work with me to get the pilot to a place where they want it to be. Use that plus the novel and maybe the the story bible to to bring in the actors. Um, yeah, and then from there, do you have an idea? What you probably well, you could say. Uh, I, I, there was one famous actor that I know Brian talked to the other day because he was shooting him in an ad, but. Okay. I've, 
I, what I've learned in Hollywood yeah. is just like, oh, yeah, sounds great. I'll do it. Like, it means nothing. So who, who knows? Um, Always say yes, and then don't say no. Just don't return the call. Right. <laughs> so, you know, um, but look, they're going to make a lot fewer shows post-strike. And so... Well, I, they I, can't make more, that's for sure. I kind of look at it a little bit like when we see a seed or a series A tech company. Is it possible they'll become a multi-billion dollar company and IPO and everything else? Sure, it's possible. And enough do that we have a successful venture capital fund. But to the vast, vast majority of them, not? Yes. So I, I kind of think we're the equivalent of that. All right. We'll be back on Thursday with books and a conversation with the general counsel of Mayday. And, um, and then next week, we'll do the predictions for tech in 2024. Cool. See you Thursday. Firewall is recorded on the Lower East Side of PNT Network, home to New York City's only free podcast recording studio. Let us know if you have a question, feedback, or ideas for a guest. Just email me at bradley at firewall.media or find me on Twitter, or some people now call it X, at Bradley Tusk. And don't forget to pre-order my debut novel, Obvious in Hindsight, wherever books are sold, especially here at PNT Network.